through, the book of Psalms is able to apply to you, is able to reach you, and is able to express the things that maybe have been on your heart at some times in your life. In the lows of life and in the absolute highs of life, Psalms is there for all of us. And so as we, before we get into the psalm, Psalm 139, just wanted to ask if there, is there any contextual comment you'd like to make before we get into the text, whether it be the superscript or whether it be something else, before we get into the text? Well, you're staring me down. The superscript man. This is you, man. <laughs> well, there's, the only thing we learn from the, uh, the, the superscript here is that this is written by David. And it'd be wonderful to know at what phase of his life he wrote this psalm, but we don't have any specifics to go off of. But as you, as you read through the psalm, it, 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 you can tell it's coming from some experience that he had. Specifically, when you get down towards the end and, and he's describing these enemies that he is um, uh, dealing with and these individuals who are uh, opposed to God in every sense of, of, in every way, in every form, and, and, and therefore they're opposed to him as well. You, you could sense this could easily be David writing about his experience when he's being targeted by Saul, or this could be David writing about his experience when his son Absalom has risen up against him, or this could be written about a time when the Philistines are in pursuit of him, or something like that. You, you could situate this psalm into many different contexts in the life of David. We just don't know specifically which one. And the other thing that's interesting to me about the psalm is it's half a praise psalm, and then, well, probably two-thirds praise, and then one-third lament. It's very interesting. It's got this combination of both factors because the, the first two-thirds or so is, is David talking about how great God is. But then we get to the last little section, there's, a, there's almost a prayer there uh, asking for God's uh, the help and rescue in a situation. So it's unique as a psalm in that facet too. I don't have any contextual comment, but I do, I do think there's something that can help set the stage for all of us before we get into the text. And that's the idea that David is going to be putting across in the psalm, is that he's going to be talking about uh, these different characteristics of God that we're going to be talking about tonight. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but you've perhaps uh, heard of the different omnis of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God, the omnipresence of God, and David's going to be talking about those throughout this psalm tonight. And I, I just wanted to comment uh, before we get into that tonight that even though uh, the Bible does not, maybe you don't know this, the Bible never does say that God is omniscient, as in the word omniscient in the Bible. The Bible never does say that God is omnipotent, as in the, the word omnipotent in the Bible, or omnipresent. None of those words are explicitly found in the Scriptures. So how do we draw the conclusion that He is omniscient? How do we draw the conclusion that he is omnipotent? By the way, if you don't know, omniscient means all-knowing. Omnipotent means all-powerful. Omnipresent means all-present. He's everywhere at the same time. And so we know these things about God. We've heard about them all of our life. We, we believe them to be true, but since the Bible doesn't explicitly say them, use the actual words, first of all, where do we get those words? And how do we know they're true? Well, psalms like Psalm 139 help us see why that, those statements are true about our God. When we look at the word omnipresent, omniscient, om, om, uh, omnipotent, 
Those are really Latin words that came many years after the Bible was written. Those are Latin words, not Greek words, not Hebrew words. And so we don't find them in the Scriptures, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're inaccurate. Tonight's psalm, we're going to be able to see that these words are very accurate, very truthful to the God that we read in Scriptures. Before we get into the text, is there anything else? I think the only thing I, I would add before we get into it is that it, this psalm is beautiful. If, we've, if you've read Psalm 139, then you easily you understand that this is just an amazing passage of Scripture. And the way in which David writes, it, it's inspiring in this. And it's, you know, I, I know he's inspired to write this, but it's inspiring to read his words here. And I think we do David a disservice when we only see him as an action hero. I think I'm guilty of that growing up some because he's the VBS man. He's the guy that all the great amazing stories are about. He's the one outside of Christ who's written more about than anybody else in, the, in Scripture and so outside of God. And, and so we see him about all his accomplishments and these actions and these amazing things. And that's understandably so. But Samuel, or Second Samuel described him in Second uh, Samuel 23 verse 1 uh, as, this, as this as well. Uh, now these are the last words of David. David the son of Jesse declares, The man who is raised on high declares, The anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. David is an amazing man of incredible accomplishments. But he also has this poetic side that touches to his soul and opens up in ways that uh, I feel like we all wish we could at times to, to, to express, to show what is going on in our life, our gratitude our, and whatever it may be. But David does an incredible, with help, David does an incredible job in this passage showing his love for God and, and God's power. So I think that's just an interesting note that this is from David. All right, let's go ahead and get into the text. Psalm 139, the first six verses. David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. And so in the first six verses, it's pretty obvious that David is, is talking about the omniscience of God. The fact that God is all knowing and he goes and gives example after example of how God knows everything about him. And so the question I have for us tonight is how does David say that God uses his omniscience in his life? How, how does God use his all-knowing characteristic in David's life? I think the first thing I recognize from, from this passage is how personal it is. God is, God is omniscience, he is all, he's all-knowing, but the way in which David goes about explaining this is all about him. Everything, and, and rightfully so, David, David could have used a, a collective term every single time. If you go back through, he could have said, you know when everyone sits down and when everyone rises up, you understand all thoughts from afar, you scrutinize all paths from, from, lying, from, from our lying down to our standing up, you are intimately equated with all of our ways. Even, for, even before there's a word on, on our tongues, you know it all. You have enclosed all of us behind before. You laid your hand upon all of us. 
He, he could have used collective terms saying, the Lord knows and understands every decision, our actions, our thoughts, from sunup to sundown, from everybody. But instead, he, he decides to show, I'm going I'm to pour out my, my thoughts and my feelings on God's all-knowing by saying that he knows everything about me. And I think that's, what it, that's where it starts to matter to us. Is it amazing that God knows everything? Yes, that is something that I don't comprehend. But the reason that matters is because he knows everything concerning me. And I think that's what David's trying to get across here, is not only is he serving a great, amazing, mighty God, but this power that God has, I think it's going to come over and over again, that this amazing ability that only God has applies directly to David. And it's that personal it's not only does God know the inner workings of the universe, not only was he the, crea- you know, the creator of all things, but he understands my, my, my morning routine. He gets my thoughts as I'm driving to and from work. He gets my frustrations with my day in and day out life. And that means a lot. I think anybody in this room tonight, if you've ever, if you've ever gone through, through anything, it, it means a lot when you have someone that just knows everything. You don't have to explain it, right? It's, it's nice having a best friend. When you're going through something and you want to go to them, you don't have to stop. You don't have, it's nice not to stop first and say, okay, only, let me tell you everything that's going on. It's nice that when you're going through something, that if you have someone, you can just say, okay, this is what's happened today. <laughs> this is my thoughts right now. And they already know it. David is saying, I have a God that knows it. He, he knows, not only does he just know everything, but he knows everything in my life. He, he, he brings it into the intimate, personal and I think that's how it directly affects him is that I don't have to explain anything to him. I don't have to backtrack and, and catch him up. He knows my thoughts, the dreams I can't remember. He knows it all. And that means, because he knows everything, that means everything. So I think that's my first thought when it comes to how this becomes personal today or how he kind of tackles that. I just, want to, I just want to continue that same thought. That's exactly what I got out of the first six verses. That idea in verse 1 you have searched me. Mm-hmm. You, you have searched me and known me. God using his infinite knowledge to know David. Uh, out of all of the things that he could be focused on or thinking about or getting to know, he used it to know David. This, this human being, this flawed man, as we know him throughout the you know, his story. He's a flawed man, and yet God uses his time, his energy, and it's infinite, but he uses it to know David, to intimately know David, and when he sits down, and when he rises up, and and the pathway he goes upon, and he's acquainted with all of his ways. He knows every word off of his tongue, off of his mouth, and that's, I mean, it's, it's just like you were saying earlier, this, this, relationship that David had with God is amazing to read about. And it's amazing to see how David saw God as someone who put their infinite knowledge and they could do it into anything he wants to as God. But he used it and he uses it to know David. And the same takeaway that, that Jay was saying he, he does that same thing for Ben, for Kyle, for Mr. John Iverson, for every single one of us. He uses that infinite wisdom and knowledge, this omniscience that he has. He does it 
he uses it also as, as he's framing the world and doing all the, the amazing things that we cannot comprehend. He, he uses it also to know us individually, intimately, the same way he knew David. And that's why in verse 6, David just can't comprehend it. This knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high, I cannot attain it. That's the omniscience of God we're seeing in the text. You know, I, I love the aspect that y'all are pulling out about how God saw David personally. What I enjoy also is how the language here is designed to help understand that God sees thoroughly, that he sees everything. Now, the way, we, the way we operate is we'll say God sees everything, God sees all, and we just kind of leave it at that. But, but David's like, no, no, I need to take that abstract terminology of everything and give it some more concrete legs to stand on. And so he uses a, a uh, poetic device called mirrorism, and what he does is he presents two things that are opposites of one another, and by presenting those two things, he's saying God sees everything in between. So he'll say, he sees my, my, um, oh, I lost my place here. He sees my uh, sitting, he sees my rising. He sees me from the moment that, that I'm resting to the moment that I'm doing something. He sees my uh, path and my lying down. He sees my active life. He sees my resting life. He sees my public life. He sees my private life. David <laughs> makes an extraordinary effort here to communicate that, that not only does God see him personally, but there's nothing that God misses. There's nothing outside the purview of God. He talks about God seeing his thoughts his words before he ever utters them. You don't even know your words before you utter them sometimes. He sees everything. And it's beautiful. And I'm, I'm reminded specifically this time of year of this level of uh, vision that God has, uh, when I, especially when I go out for walks. I, I do a lot of walking around Cherokee Bluffs Park. And I love, excuse me, I love, I'm not getting choked up. I'm just, my voice is, is a little rough right now. Uh, I love going on hikes or walking in the winter because you can see so much more. With the foliage off the trees, your vision is so much broader. And you can see things you don't see any other time of the year. Because you can look at that tree and you can get a better perception of just how tall it is, just how wide it's, <clears throat> oh, just how wide its branches reach, just how thick its trunk is. You can see all the imperfections where there's a split, where there's a knot, where there's storm damage, where there's bark that's been removed. You can see all the inhabitants of the tree. You can see where there's a, a bird's nest or a squirrel's nest or where there's an owl perched up in it. You can see things that you don't normally see. You can see thoroughly. And God sees us that way each and every moment of our lives. David tries to really communicate that here. And there's something about that ability of God to see so thoroughly that for each individual is either going to be comforting or it's going to be frightening. For David, God's ability to see him thoroughly was a source of comfort. That's why he says, search me, examine me, Check me out. When you get to the end of the chapter, 
He's going, he's going to offer that invitation to God again. Search me, and you'll see my innocence. If you can say that to God, if you can say, God, take a look at me, look at me thoroughly, look at everything about me, and not be afraid of it, then you can find comfort in his omniscience. That's what you're supposed to find. But if it's frightening to you that God can see everything, then that means something needs to change. So it's, it's also important to notice how thoroughly God sees because it's either going to be a source of comfort or it's going to be a source of fear in your life. And which one it is is up to you. text continues in verse 7. It says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even, where your hand sh- even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So here, we, we, in the first passage, we were obviously able to see David talking about the omniscience of God, how God is, is all-knowing, infinitely knowing. And here in this passage, it's pretty obvious David is now talking about how, how God is omnipresent, that He is present everywhere. Everywhere David goes, so too is God. So the same question we had before, how, how does David see God's omnipresence in his life? How does God use that infinite presence? How does He use it in David's life? Well, I think going back to what, Kyle, you were saying a second ago, this fact that God is all-knowing and He's everywhere uh, can, be, can be terrifying. I mean, that, that aspect that there's no escaping His presence, His knowledge. I, I distinctly remember when I was a kid sitting in Nana's Bible class, the first time I realized that, that God could hear my thoughts. You know, that, that was an eye-opening moment of, you know, I need to pay attention more in worship. You know, like, that was a scary moment. And that was a child's rationale kind of going through that. But David, in both these passages, verses 1 through 6 and now verses 7 through 10, he speaks about his all-knowing, his all-presence, and then he he mentions something I think is kind of interesting. Look at verse 5. It says, in in the end of verse 5, you have laid your hand upon me. All this all-knowing, the fact that God knows everything, allows God to put his hand on him. Since God can see David for exactly who he is, that, that allows God to protect him like no one other. I don't know my own weaknesses. I, I don't know myself as well as my God knows me, and so God can protect me better than I can protect myself. He knows where I'm strong. He knows where I'm not so strong. And I think that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 kind of comes into that thought. And now in this all presence, it's the exact same thing. It's God, everywhere I go, there's no escaping Everywhere I've been, he has been there with me. And again, he ends it in verse 10 with the same exact thought. Even there, your hand will lead me. It's this idea that that can be a terrifying thought that everywhere I go, God is going to be there. There's no escaping him. But what a blessing that is because that allows him to have his hand to guide me. It's, it's David leading up to your hand is guiding me, your hand is guiding me, you're all, you're all knowing, your hand guides me, you're all everywhere, your hand guides me. And so I think that's where it begins, this, this, power, this power that seems is unattainable, undescribable, becomes intimate and personal to David because he's experienced it, because he's been in caves, he's been in hideouts, he's been in, um, is it Gath? Is that the word uh, Goliath is from, Gath? Mm-hmm. 
He's been in the enemy territory, and God never left him. And because of that, he says, your hand can guide me. It's also interesting here because David does the same thing where he's using some poetic language. He wants to convey the idea that, that God's everywhere, and he does so by saying, take a vertical axis from heaven to the, to the bowels of the earth, to, to Sheol, to where the, where the dead go. God is everywhere. Take a horizontal axis from the, the wings of, uh, of the morning. That's a reference to the east. And then he mentions the uttermost parts of the sea. For them, that was the west. That was the end of the Mediterranean Sea out there on the other side of Spain. And so he's saying it doesn't matter if you're going up and down, left or right. It doesn't matter. God is everywhere. And, and it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me because this attribute of God is one that Jesus had to give up in order to become human. When he became a baby, born in Bethlehem, he was no longer omnipresent. He was wherever that physical body was. It's the one attribute of these three that I can say Jesus gave up in order to know what it's like to be you and I. And I'm fascinated by that. wonder if he, as one author said, I wonder if he ever got claustrophobic in a human body. But David here finds comfort, as Jay was alluding to, in the fact that God is everywhere. That there was not one single place he could go that God wasn't with him. And as was alluded to there in verse, uh, in verse 10, he talks about God's hand leading him and God's hand holding him or protecting him. He knows that the omnipresence of God is a source of comfort because it means that no matter where David is, God can be there too. And the question you have to ask yourself is, is God's omnipresence a source of comfort for you or a source of fear? Once again, his omni-trait can be one or the other, and it's up to you. I found the same, I mean, that's, that's really powerful. And I found the same uh, takeaway from our first section to our second section. And, it, and that is the same way God uses his omniscience to intimately know David. In this text, I see God using his omnipresence to draw near to David. At all times, he is near David. Not only does he know David, he knows his ways, he knows his path, he knows his words, he knows his actions, all those things. Great, great stuff. But he's also near David at all points in his life. At all times, God is near, and he gives example after example of east to west, you know, as high as I go or as low as I go, like you're talking about. God is there. But then I see almost a change in tone, like Jay was talking about in verse 10, where it goes from God being everywhere to God being wherever David is. Instead of just God, it's, it's true that God is everywhere. That's a truthful statement. But it's also true that God chooses to be wherever David is. How powerful of a thought is that? that God is, is making sure that he is wherever David is. Wherever David is, wherever David finds himself in caves or, or 
in exile from uh, the nation or wherever he finds himself, God is also there. God, he, he doesn't have to search for God because God is already there. It's a powerful thought that in verse 10, wherever he goes, it's God's hand that leads him. His right hand is the one holding him. And David, the same way David knew that God had better things to think about than to think about him and his ways, but he did it anyway, the same way David knew that God had better places to be than to just follow around this human being. He could be spanning the vast, uh, the vast amazingness of space or whatever this infinite God could be doing, but he, cho- he chose and he chooses to be wherever David is. And so you have this powerful thought, again, in in the psalm, that God uses His infinite knowledge, first of all, He uses His infinite knowledge to know David. And now we see He's using His infinite presence to be close to David. And the same way we said He does that to all of us with what He chooses to know, He uses that to know us, God uses that presence to be close to us. God uses His infinite presence to draw near to each and every one of us. So that it's not us going on a journey to try to find God. God's been there the whole time. God was there when we were unfaithful. He remained faithful. He remains faithful and near our side even when we are not trying to be close to Him. David is the same example. Even when he was completely unfaithful to his Lord and took Bathsheba as his own, there God was. When he sent that letter to go kill Uriah, there God was. And so on and so forth. In the highest of highs of David's faithfulness and the lowest of lows of his unfaithfulness, the the unchanging thing is God. God did not change. He was there the whole time. Is there any other thoughts on this passage before we move on? Yeah, I think we could also just for a moment detach God's... Um, man, I get all the... i got to keep looking at my notes, make, make sure I don't get my omnis wrong. Um, omnipresence. Uh, that's probably the easiest one. Um, let's detach His omnipresence from physical places for a second because I think we all also understand that He's with us wherever we go emotionally, mentally, spiritually. David is making this great point that physically wherever I go, my God is going to be with me. The highs, the lows, the east and west, I cannot go any physically anywhere without him being there and what a comfort that is. But I think he's also making a point that we also we, we, can, we all can agree on is that mentally God is wherever we are. He is there on our highest highs. When we are overjoyed our life is just could not be more excited and more grand God is there on the mountaintops with us. And we were walking, when we were scraping ourselves off the valley, we were in the lowest lows, and we could not imagine how things could be worse. God is there with us. And from the left to the right, I think even spiritually you could make a case for it in the sense that though we may leave God, spiritually, you know, when sticking close to Him, we may walk away from God, but God's presence is still with us in the fact that He has never given up on us. So no matter where we are mentally, uh, emotionally, spiritually, the fact that God's presence still, is still there is still a, just a, 
inconceivable amount of, of comfort that physically I know he's going to be with me. I, I could make a joke, you know, I've never lived in a cave, but I've lived in Tuscaloosa and he was there with me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but emotionally, each and every one of us in this room could go, go around and talk about a low point that we've been in and said, wow, God was there in that cave with me. We could talk about a point where we just detached ourselves from God and walked away. And there was a moment where God was still there with us that he just didn't give up. And so, I mean, we, we could spend the rest of tonight on his omnipresence and the fact of it's not just physical, it's, it's everywhere. Our mind, our soul, our, our body goes that our God is there. David continues in verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And so in the first passage, verses 1 through 6, it's evident that David is, is talking about the omniscience of God. And in the second passage, verses 7 through 10, uh, it's evident he's talking about the omnipresence of God. And in, the, in this, this passage we just read, you could argue where he's talking about the omnipotence of God. The fact that God is all-powerful. And to me, again, I'm going to go ahead and get my thoughts in on this passage and then give it to you guys. But it's the same thought that I've had the past two times in the past two passages. Is that God could use His power for anything. He could use this infinite power, this omnipotence that He has. He could use it for anything. And what does he use it for in David's life? Well, he uses it to form his inward parts. He uses it to cover him in his mother's womb. He uses it uh, to fashion his days before him. And so here again, we see this same message. God uses his infinite knowledge to know David. He uses his infinite presence to draw close to David. And here I, I see he using, him using his infinite power to protect, to care for, to love David from the very inception of his life. God is there using his infinite power for David's betterment. It's a powerful thought that all of these infinite characteristics of God, instead of, of David seeing God using them against him, David chooses to see God using them for him. I think the question is, 
which one are we? Like we've been saying over and over, does God's all infinite power comfort you or scare you? Does God's infinite presence comfort you or scare you? Does God's infinite knowledge comfort you or scare you? To David, it did nothing but comfort him. And what an amazing, powerful relationship, like we keep saying, David had with God. Do we have that same belief? Do we have that same relationship? And are we grateful for the power that God reveals in our lives? You know what really stands out to me in this section? It, isn't, isn't so much um, how God uses his omniscience, uh, omnipotence for David, but how David interprets God's omnipotence. And what I mean is, David here, in, in writing about these characteristics of God, we, we quickly understand that he's talking about God's omniscience in the first six verses, because he's talking about God knowing his thoughts, knowing his words, knowing his ways. And we quickly know in verses, uh, was it, 7 through 10, that he's talking about his omnipresence because he's talking about God being wherever he goes, that sort of thing. Here he wants to talk about God's power. And I'm humbled by the fact that the element he chose to depict God's power was the creation of life. He could have chose God's power at creating anything, but he chose the creation of life to be the source of praise for God's power. This is the same guy who would write Psalm chapter 8, and he would say, When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? David was always fascinated that human life was the product of God's creative power. He could look at the, the celestial entities that, that are out there in space and still be more fascinated by a child coming into the world. See, Psalm 139, to depict how powerful God is, David chooses the birth of himself, the conception of himself. There's no mention of his parents. It's all about God's power to bring life into the world. And there's just something humbling about the fact that, that when David reflected on God's omnipotence, the thing that stood out to him was God's creative power evidenced in human life. And, and, and for me, I'm not wanting to get on a tirade here or, or a soapbox, but we need to appreciate what David's doing in Psalm 139 and apply it to our own ethical positions when it comes to life That's right. and the protection of life and, 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 and the appreciation of life and so on. And so Psalm 139 speaks to that. I'm not going to dive any further on that, but David, when he thought of omnipotence, he was reminded that God has the power to create human beings, and that stands out above all other creative activity, as is quite evident when you look at creation in Genesis chapter 1. Absolutely, and I appreciate, Kyle, you saying that last bit as well. I think the only th very quickly, the only thing I'll add to this passage is... I'm going to reread verse 16. Your eyes have seen, me, seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, uh, when, when as yet there was not one of them. This is an amazing passage of life here, but I think maybe something, and I'll just mention this because this is one of the first times I've thought about this as I was reading this. Um, 
think one of the things that David is also getting to is the fact that God has been there with him since, day, since before day one. Since the very moment of conception where life is considered God was there and knowing everything going on. And how much does that mean to us when we have somewhere in our life that's been there for a long time? That that's understands us, that's, that's been a friend. or a fa- and That's why family means so much, right? Because they've been there longer than anybody else. We have friends that have been there um, for years and years and years. They mean that much more to us because we, when, we, when we get to spend time with them, they understand where we've come from in our journey and we get to catch up. And I think David is just mentioning for a moment here as well that God, you, I praise your presence and power and, and knowledge and everything in my life. And part of that comes from the fact that you have known me before I was even formed, when I was being formed. And so I think that's something that we can take away from this as well. Let's go ahead and finish up the psalm and then have, have some more thoughts. Verse 19, David continues. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So we've been going through this passage seeing the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God. And my question now is, what do these characteristics that God shows in David's life, what do these characteristics produce in David's heart and in David's life based on this text? I think they produced in him a desire to be associated with God. Like, he, he could see, and as he lists these omni-characteristics, it's clear to him that he wants to be on God's side, not somebody else's. And, and so he's defending God, he's standing up for God, he's identifying himself with God, and, and he wants nothing to do with anybody who's in opposition to God. And, he, and, he's, and his prayer here is for God to protect him and for God to uh, watch over him as he deals with his enemies because his enemies are ultimately God's enemies. And, and so when you really ponder these characteristics of omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence, they, they should make you pursue and seek out and trust in and surrender to the God who fits those characteristics or who those characteristics define. And you'll notice there um, at the... Uh, da, 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 at the end, in verse 20, 23 and 24, he's not only calling on God to search him and examine him, but verse 24, if, if, I see, if you see any wicked way in me, then, then lead me in the way everlasting. He's saying, hey, if you see something in me that's not right, then I want to follow you to what is right. So there is this complete surrender because God is the one who deserves that based on these characteristics. One thing I, I recognize is the tone of voice David changes from. It goes from very lofty to very praise. You know, you almost have like a harp going in the background to uh, pretty angry. <laughs> you, you have a pretty quick transition there to verse 19. And I'm reminded of almost like a parent. You know, I've heard maybe my mom and different parents say, you know, attack me all you want to, but don't you dare speak ill of my child. And I think what we get here with David is what's 
enraging him, which getting what is getting him to the point in verse 22, it's saying them, saying, "I hate them with the with the utmost hatred." Is don't you dare use my God's name in vain. Look at how powerful he is. Look how knowledgeable he is. Look at all. Look how great he is for all these reasons. And I am not okay with you if if you put him down. I think about Christ. I, I think about the idea that Christ took blaspheming and Christ took negative comments towards him all day long in the temple. But as soon as he walks into that temple and he sees it, sees it turned into a, a temple of thieves and robbers, that's when he flips the tables. You know, he speaks out when God's honor and God's name, God's name is threat, not threatened, but put down and disdained or dishonored or whatever. And that's when Christ, the defense mechanism almost pops in and says, okay, I'm standing up for this. There's a limit, and I think David touches that, saying, "Those that those are those of who are your enemies are are my enemies." And so, I, I see love dependency that David has for God here, and all this appreciation almost makes him filled with all this love and adoration, absolutely, but, but also with this righteous anger for, towards those who look down upon God or, or use His name in vain. And so I think that's why we have this sharp change, sharp change in, in emotion because David feels so much love. And so as soon as that moment when God's name is challenged or, or put down, that's when, God, that's when the warrior side of David comes back out. And he says, no, 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 I, 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 won't, I won't take that anymore. So I, I love it. I, I love this sharp change and this zeal. I think maybe that's a bit, better word than anger. This just this righteous zeal to, to honor God in his name. It's pretty amazing. You see zeal, and, and you see uh, all these other things we're talking about. I see this true faithfulness. It produced faithfulness, really, in David to the point that, okay, I know that God is using his knowledge, his infinite knowledge, to know me. So I'm going to do everything I can to know God. God's using his infinite presence to draw near to me, okay, well, then I'm going to do everything I can to draw near to God. God's using every bit of His power to sustain my life. Well, okay, I'm going to use every bit of my power to further His cause. I'm going to use every bit of my power to do what is in my capabilities of following His will. And so I see this faithfulness in verses 19 through 24 that, that is really what separates David from the rest of his contemporaries, from the rest of his peers, I believe his faithfulness, his true heart, is what made him this man after God's own heart that we see throughout the Scriptures. And so as we close tonight, guys, how does this psalm, how does Psalm 139 help shape the way we view our God? For me, it's a reminder that God's always on our side. Um, I think of Romans chapter 8 where Paul says, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? God can do everything, God knows everything, and God is everywhere. If you are in the, on the side of understanding that that should comfort you, then there shouldn't be anything you're afraid of. Anything you're, you, you, you don't feel like you can tackle because you've got the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God as your ally 
in all things. So uh, for me, it's the way it should help us sh- help shape our view of God is it should give us confidence that we've got Him on our side in any situation that we face. So for me, that's where it, where it takes my mind. A- absolutely, it's n- it's hard to not read. It's hard to read one, Psalms one thirty nine and not just think about the power of God. But I think my takeaway from tonight would be um, how it shapes my view of God would be just how personal that power is. He's not just the creator. He's, he, he is that. He, he is the judge. He is almighty. But he uses all of it for me. It's amazing. You know, that's, that's right where I'm thinking is God uses that knowledge for me. He uses his presence for me. He uses his power for me. And so just like David, I need to use those things for him. I need to do those same things David did And we often think about God as this puppet master sometimes that's just pulling the strings. He knows how the show's going to end. He's the one that's able to just pull the plug on one of the little puppets, and he's there to destroy us with his power. He's there to keep a record of all the things we've ever done because he's always there. He's always present. He knows every mistake I've ever made, and those things are true. He is there for every moment. He is there. He knows everything, just like we've been talking about all those times. But you don't have to view God that way if you're living right. If you're living like David lived, you don't have to view God as a puppet master. You get to view God as this Father that is doing everything in His infinite knowledge, in His infinite presence, in His infinite power. He's doing everything He can to better your life. That's the God that we serve. I'm going to ask Kyle to close us in a word of prayer. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord God in heaven, we are humbled to be reminded of your characteristics tonight. We thank you that you are an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God. May we never take for granted those attributes. May we come to appreciate them more as we, we understand them more. And Lord, may we praise you for that. And Lord, we thank you that you care so much about each of us individually, that you you will utilize those traits for each and every one of us. Lord, we're humbled by you. And Lord, we, we ask, we plead that you will help us to live a life that trusts in you, that is faithful to you, that surrenders to you in all things. Lord, we love you, and it is through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.